Hi, you're listening to Ghostwood Radio, a Twin Peaks podcast at Movie Fail. I'm Josh Rosenfields, here with Soren Howe, and today we are discussing episode three of season one, which is called episode two, <laughs> which is called Zen or the Skill to Catch a Killer. Nice. Um, last week, when we signed off, what I told you was that this was the episode where uh, it like it gets weird. Um, and as I was watching it, it occurred to me that like it 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 takes its time in getting there. <laughs> I was like, an, I, I was expecting that the whole episode. I was like, hmm, not sure where we're, uh, where where that where that part comes in. I suspected it was um, going to pertain to some of the more you know classic iconography from the show that I have seen in other things. Um, yeah, which I I actually have a lot to say about later. Uh, not in the context of the show, but in other things um, and mm-hmm. and references to it, so it's kind of a funny, uh, funny perspective I'm coming at it from because I know so little about what any of it has to do with anything at this point. So, <laughs> um, one thing I didn't mention last time, I did mention to you uh, privately over a couple of days ago, um, was uh, the fact that the color palette uh, really changed between the pilot and uh, these episodes. Yes, um, it, it got a lot warmer. That was something that we didn't really, you know, take note of uh, when we were talking about how different it felt. And one of the things immediately is just how, um, you know, how much redder and warmer it is. Uh, yeah, this is the classic. Something you noticed. This is the classic Twin Peaks uh, visual palette. Everything is just bathed in in orange, and everything you always it always feels like you're in like a log cabin with a fire going. Right. Uh, in Twin Peaks. Um, Which is funny because like, this is the pilot wasn't really like that. It was sort of um, it's very blue. Yeah, that's another example I think drab. of the pilot like not really like they didn't get their footing until they started the show proper. They didn't really know what the show was going to be uh, in terms of the characters or aesthetically. And that's I think the the perfect example that just the the lighting and the uh, the color was so different. It, like you say, it is a lot less it is a lot colder um and and if you know season three is a long way off but uh the color palette goes through another wild shift in there um but this is like classic twin peaks cool yeah yeah it's not what i expected the the pilot is what i sort of had envisioned um so it's been very different to see this yeah the log cabin feel isn't necessarily something i was assuming we would see in twin peaks i expected a more um uh, a little bit of a, a Silent Hill type vibe, uh, quite as like horror driven, but you know the, the creepy like you know, uh, Alan Wake type things. I'm referencing video games I've never played, um, but I've seen I've seen uh, people play it. So there you go. Uh, well, that's yeah, funny because sort of yeah, I mean a lot area. of a lot of the things that Twin Peaks like influences if that like that that's the thing they don't take usually. Like Alan Wake is a good example. You, I haven't played Alan Wake either, but from what I understand about it, like Twin Peaks is probably a major influence on that game. There are probably direct references to Twin Peaks <laughs> in that game. Uh, but yeah, that game is like, it, it seems to always take place at night, uh, and it's foggy. Yeah, it oh, looks yeah, like a Silent Hill game. Is your, flash, your flashlight's your weapon. <laughs> exactly, you yeah. Shadows. Yeah, yeah. It's a um, and cool. although we do get a great scene with a flashlight at night in this episode. Oh, um, yeah. But, but most of the time... Uh, it's very, very warm, very hospitable, very friendly. And that contrasts with sort of the darker undertones of the show in an interesting way. Mm-hmm. Because it feels so inviting just when you're looking at it. 
but then that'll kind of clash with the things that are actually happening on screen in a way that's not... I don't want to call it ironic, because I don't think this is... I wouldn't call this show ironic, but it does definitely... It's sort of a take on soap opera convention, um, and we get the first mention of the soap opera Invitation to Love in this episode, and that's a recurring gag throughout the series that as characters watch this uh, soap opera. Um, and this is, this is very much like the soap operas of the time would have the same kind of like uh, romance novel gloss over it. Um, we obviously, t- which is, you know, today we think of soap operas as looking very different. They look like, you know, YouTube videos. Um, yeah, hyper Because they're yeah, all 48 yeah. frames per second. Exactly, yeah. Um, but yeah, but this is, at the time, this is sort of what they looked like. But of course, it, it was a very different, It's it was the same aesthetic, but thematically it was much different. And in, in, in Twin Peaks was kind of, not satirizing it, but doing a, like I said, kind of doing a take on what television was, what this type of television was about, basically. Yeah, exactly, just like Desperate Housewives. No, I totally get you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. But that, that's what that's what Desperate Housewives is doing with a different, you know, because it's late comes later. Um, but it's doing the same thing where it, it's doing the, probably a, a riff on the contemporary soap operas of its time. Um, yeah. So it's, and it's uh, funny because yeah. season three ends up being, in a lot of ways, a take on like prestige dramas, um, yeah. in terms of its visuals as well, um, and 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 in terms of like what actually happens, it's very much a, in a lot of ways a lot darker, but in a lot of ways even funnier. Um, sort of, again, like parody isn't the right word, but it's sort of it's 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 like a send up, I guess, of prestige drama convention in the same way that this is a send up of soap opera. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, that does, yeah, that does color it a bit. Um, but you know, it's funny because not all the characters have a a direct, um, you know, not all the storylines are contrast, you know, contrast with with the aesthetic of the show. So you have like, uh, obviously Cooper and uh, the sheriff and everyone else. So you know, kind of goofy and fun and you know, warm. Um, then you have this like very domestic squabble uh, over. Uh, curtains, which doesn't seem to have any sort of stakes at all, um, <laughs> and then it's just like a random, random snapshots of somebody's life for some reason, and then you know obviously there's this really intense stuff with Leo and Shelley and Bobby and all the rest of them. So, um, where obviously that's a much more in, and and Laura's death obviously, and so you have that that stuff which is quite dark, um, but not every storyline, you know, sticks out as much from from its background, so. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. and and also that tonal shift throughout the episode is always really jarring for me because like for me those are like the three tiers of relevance. <laughs> you know, there's there's no real conflict with Cooper and the sheriff at all, right? There's a little bit of conflict in the curtain thing, but it's not like high stakes and no one cares, like who cares. And then there's this you know third storyline which is obviously much uh, much more intense and life or death. So. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. It's funny you mention that because one of my first notes is about how, like, again, another thing I had forgotten is how uninterested this episode is in the, you know, capital I investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, and really the show as a whole, like, it's, I mean, obviously the ending of the episode is a really, uh, is a an incredible tease and kind of a mean tease um, after an episode that is so blatantly selling, saying to its audience, 
this don't get so wrapped up in the, in this investigation because we don't care about it enough mm-hmm. to like you know like <laughs> that that's what this whole dream sequence is i mean the dream sequence has a lot going on but part of it to me is like don't get wrapped up in this mystery the way you would another tv mystery as though it's going to drive the engine of the entire show like it's not uh and to prove it to you the next piece of the puzzle will be this bizarre dream sequence um and then cooper will wake up <laughs> and say he knows who the killer is but it can wait till morning mm-hmm. um but that's the end of the episode um it opens with the uh, Horn family having dinner, uh, and Ben's brother Jerry shows up back from Paris. Right, yeah, uh, and yeah, they are Ben. While, they are but... Ben and Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the dinner scene goes on for a while before uh, he suddenly bursts in, and jazz music starts playing again. Oh, it's an out of towner. <laughs> there you go. Um, and uh, yeah, so then they go off to well, there's you know some back and forth. They have this weird scene where they eat a sandwich even though they're eating dinner already. Yeah, then, this whole sequence is about, I think it's, it's about establishing Ben as someone who is sinister um, and obviously shady, wrapped up in shady stuff. Yeah. And I think the first way it does this is the way he eats the sandwich, which is, right a, it's like all. a sub. Yeah. He, he, he takes it like long ways and bites into it from the side. Yeah, that was... Really it's cool. insane. Yeah. No one has ever eaten a sandwich like that. Yeah. And as, as soon as you see that, you're like, something's wrong with this person. Yeah, exactly. Something's going on. <laughs> Um, and, you know, he gets name-dropped later uh, in the episode. Uh, Audrey's uh, Donna, right? If, yes. If Laura right. ever mentioned her father. So there's some connection there. Um, it's so, definitely yeah, very there's, suggestive there's, in terms of, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's, there's clearly a lot going on there. Um, he would He's up there for my my suspects. Mm. You know? um, <laughs> but he's not, uh, he's not at the top of the list. I'll get to the top of my list. <laughs> uh, one one more detail about this dinner scene when Ben leaves he says always a pleasure to his family <laughs> as he leaves the dinner table <laughs> yeah um, the whole thing the sequence is very weird and then they immediately you know have this conversation where of course the more important thing is they lost this real estate deal yeah um, I will say that I think or my impression is not the reason I don't think that, again, I, it's just, I, I know it's not the point of the show, but I am, you know, mildly interested in whoever did the thing. Um, and I think that uh, it's unlikely it was the horns, only because of the way he tells his brother is, so it's, it's callous and incidental, but it's not, he says it like, he says it in an offhand way, but not in like a way where he's trying to make it where it seems like he's trying to, you know, make little of it or not even mention it at all. He's yeah. just disinterested, which doesn't indicate to me that he had any role in it in uh in Laura's death, so that's why I'm like not really. It is um, also not like hey Jerry, yeah, Laura Palmer died and uh I don't know. I might have had a little something to do with it. Yeah, yeah, um, there's nothing. Cuz obviously like that, yeah. Jerry is someone he confides in and someone exactly. who knows about this shadiness, so if he was, you're right, this is you're this is a good read. Like if he was involved, it seems unlikely that this is how he would approach it when telling his brother. True. On the other hand, he's also like a huge scumbag, benefits from tragedy, and also, you know, Audrey asked this question about her dad, so uh, maybe she suspects her dad, but her dad didn't actually have anything to do with it, which is also possible. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I think, uh, does this go straight into... Oh, well, so then they go into the... Uh, 
they go is this when they go off to one eye jacks or do they yeah they go to one eye jacks um yeah yeah in a, in a boat so <laughs> just to establish boat, the location yeah. of this place <laughs> um yeah and it's not clear where this is it's you know to get there by boat but since I don't really know the layout of Twin Peaks, or I thought they were in a mountain, I don't know whether it's a river or... Yeah, I mean, it's deliberately disorienting in that way, I think. Because um, mm-hmm. it's just the one shot of the speedboat. <laughs> just, to, it, just to tell you, like, this is how they're getting there. They're not driving, they're not walking, they're boating. Um, and yeah, given what we... I mean, uh, they find Laura on the shore of a river, so there is, like, water nearby. Oh, true, 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 um, yeah, yeah. Because the mill, but, the mill needs it, yeah. Exactly, yeah, but it's, you're right, this is not the sort of place where you expect to be, like, uh, sailing to places you need to yeah. go. Um, like in a speedboat, yeah, so yeah, it, it's a bit strange. Yeah. Um, so they end up at uh, one Eye Jacks, and I would say, actually, not a lot happens here other than that they flip a coin over a new prostitute. Um... Yeah, it's just about establishing what this what the place is, because um, this is yeah, the first time I mean, we're hearing of it. This is what they do together, uh, these brothers. But like, aside from being scummy, and also obviously he has a whole family and everything, and I guess there's that contrast. It's, there's not a whole lot of plot-related uh, content there. Um, so yeah. So yeah, then we go right back. So this episode picks up right after the end of the last one. So yeah, it's really linear. Yeah. So far, it's very much, and like especially with the uh, cutaway, because there's the scenes uh, with Donna and James as well. Yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah. So it's They're it's like dinner. Yeah. exactly, yeah. It's, it's, this is what's happening this evening in Twin Peaks with these characters cutting. You know, it doesn't. There's no like gaps, basically. I mean, there is when they cut to the next day, obviously. Um, but it's it's interesting because it for a show that gets pegged as surreal a lot, it is so... The narrative is so, like I said, so linear. Yeah. Um, to an extent that not even a lot of other like broadcast dramas aren't. There will be scenes that like you're expected to just understand, well, these aren't happening at the exact same time or exactly one after the one after the other. But, like, they are here. <laughs> they are but very... They the, make... the word surreal is thrown around a lot and sometimes they refer oh, yeah. to, um, you know something like Mulholland Drive, which is, you know, inscrutable uh, <laughs> in many ways, uh, or most ways, or, you know, and then they'll use it to describe something that's just a little off, you know? Um, yeah. And, like, those are not the same thing, you know? <laughs> um, but <laughs> yeah, so they yeah. just call them both surreal, so I suppose that, that maybe that's where that comes from. Um, and also it's, you know, for the time, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, yeah. Um and then, oh, yeah, so, but this really quick uh, moment when uh, Donna is sad about Laura and t- talking to James, uh, and then, you know, they sort of realized that they were, you know, obviously both in love with each other and they wanted to, to be together, and Laura was made that difficult. Um, and then Donna says, are we going to be together, James? And then she repeats that, and then she immediately shots at the top of my list of suspects because I don't believe any <laughs> of her... Sweet, nice business. I don't believe any of it. I wrote. I specifically wrote my notes that cutesy act isn't fooling me. So that's Interesting. My, my new theory is that that Donna's the the baddie because she uh, she secretly just wanted to be with James. Of course, what does that mean, right? Is the baddie? She's obviously not one of the the. Uh, uh, you know, it looks like the three men um, who did 
these like heinous acts obviously she's not three men um but in some way got uh got her involved with them or knew knows more than she's letting on at the very least that's what i think um maybe allowed her to get herself into a position where she ended up getting um you know because she was certainly involved laura was involved in all these uh you know all of the money and drugs and all the rest of it so uh perhaps that that's the connection there um, still not interested in this Leo thing they keep pushing on us, uh, <laughs> which which we get again later with with Cooper. But speaking of Cooper, um, um, yeah, um, he sh- he, sh- he shows up like Mister Rogers blowing a whistle. Um, yeah, it was it's the whistle he was carving in the police car with uh, Truman. Oh, and the right, pilot. right. It's just it's a fun they, bl- uh, little bit of continuity. The club or the bar or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and again it's like. The, the way that the show is structured, it's like, okay, so he's, we saw him carving that. There's no, like, there's, there's just a whistle now, and that's the way editing works. Right. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's very strictly structured. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, I just like how he intros himself, because he really, he comes in like, oh, maybe it's, you know, it's either like Mr. Rogers or Mr. McFeely, I'm not sure, but definitely <laughs> from Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Um, which, again, he... It, it, it's kind of like in an animated show that would be like, oh, it's the train character. He's going to blow his whistle and then like come, you know, come in smiling because he's introducing <laughs> himself, right? Uh, yeah. Just very specific kind of introduction for him, um, and uh, yeah. So I think we don't get really much with him. Um, well, he gets a letter that says Jack with one eye. Jack with one um, eye, right? And again, it's like there's no mystery. In another yeah, show, he would get this mysterious that, yeah. note, and we'd be like, what does this mean? B- but they've already told us what it means before he even gets the note. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then it takes a while for him to figure it out, which we already know as the... Yeah. Yeah, because we have this uh, omniscient view. Um, yeah. So uh, then uh, so Bobby and Mike are coming for drugs, I guess? Yeah. there's uh, They're going which to... Which connects uh, to the football that, that Leo was cutting up. Yeah, we find out what that exactly. We find out what that was uh, for. I thought um, it was just to be menacing. I didn't realize it was for a thing. <laughs> I mean, it is menacing for sure. Um, I love the shots of the in the woods of just the flashlight, just this you know circle of light, and just total blackness around. It's so scary. It's like Blair Witch Project. Um, well, they certainly do that POV shot, Blair Witch POV shot. Although this predates Blair Witch by quite a bit, so. Yeah, exactly. It's it's really cool, um, and and just like um, and spooky. Um, I I did I have to say I did kind of laugh when Leo reveals himself because <laughs> it's so dramatic. It's ridiculous. Who, who, who Leo is like you do that when yeah. you're like you know trying to scare like a six year old at camp, not when you're trying to be a like a drug, uh, you know, kingpin or whatever he Leo thinks he is. Leo is a ter- like one of the most evil people on the show, but also he's like in so many ways just incredible. And this is a great example of he waits for them to pull out the football, and yeah, he's got the flashlight under his chin like he's telling a ghost story. Yeah. And then later and he in the even, scene, like, talk first and then reveal who it is. He yeah, <laughs> you know, to scare them, he just clicks it on and then starts talking. It's like, it's. What? I mean, it worried. I mean, they're li- still scared because they're yeah. stupid. But yeah, because okay, he has a shotgun. <laughs> well, and he has a shotgun. Um, a shotgun. There's yeah, a late, and then like... later in the scene, he um, there's a, where they're talking about the money. He looks down at his shoes, 
and then looks up and says, Leo needs a new pair of shoes. Right. Like, not just as an expression. Like, he looks down to check his shoes and then says, literally, I need a new pair of shoes. He doesn't seem like the brightest. Uh, <laughs> no, no. Not at all. Um, but yeah, we do get a revelation that he knows that Shelley's been cheating on him. Or maybe, actually, yes. the funny thing is, maybe he doesn't know that, but he's so paranoid and abusive that he would assume she was anyway. That's um, probably true, yeah. This is a problem for Bobby, anyway, regardless of whether or not it's <laughs> based on reality. He he knows. I like how he keeps asking him, do you know who it is? Like, if he knew who it was, you'd be dead or something. Like, why would... Well, that's the thing. It's like, if Leo... If either of these characters were, like, a little bit smarter, the scene would go down completely differently. <laughs> because if Leo... The fact that Leo doesn't pick up on the fact that Bobby is obviously guilty here, because he goes, yeah, no, I totally agree. So, uh, do, do, do you know who did it? Uh, yeah. do you know who it is? <laughs> he could not be more obvious. Um, and then, of course, Bobby just, like, the fact that he can't shut up and he just he can't help himself from asking yep. when he should just say nothing to not reveal himself in this situation. Exactly. And, of course, Leo doesn't pick up on it either because he's an idiot, so... Um... Or at least as far as, you know, I, unless there's some other reveal that we're not aware of, but it seems like Leo has no idea what's going on either. Uh, hmm. He seems much more concerned with the money, um, which he can't get paid because Laura's safety deposit box is uh, sort of off limits at the moment. Um, he comments about Laura, too. I can't remember what he says. He says something oh, like, um, she was, she a, was girl. a wild girl. And a then girl, Bobby, yeah. says, Bobby says, tell me about it. And he goes, maybe I will right. sometime. Um and yeah, as we learn later in the episode, when the uh, when Cooper does his secret technique, <laughs> clearly yeah. Leo was di- directly involved with Laura somehow. Somehow, oh yeah, that's no doubt. Like I don't have any doubt that Leo had some connection to Laura. Fine, but the 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 leading to him as a primary suspect is just too much. Obviously, he's not the one. It's Donna. All right. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, so Nadine. Right, it's Nadine. That's oh god, yes, I love Nadine. Hey. I for, I love uh, I love Ed. The shot that opens the scene of Ed's just like hand completely covered in oil, trying oh, yeah. to like get the doorknob open without touching yep. it. Um, yeah, Ed and Nadine and Norma. The first time I watched this show, I had like these scenes just bored me to tears. Like I just didn't care about these characters. Um, I'm enjoying them a lot more now, <laughs> especially. <laughs> there's this bizarre moment. Because Nadine is on this, like, exercise machine. Right. And she's so mad that she, she, like... bends back the pipe, yeah. Bends the... (laughs) She has, like... So, like, for for whatever reason, this character, who, up to this point, we've been led to believe is just one joke, and it's that she's obsessed with drape runners. She also has this thing where, like... It it appears to be that when she's infuriated, she she has superhuman strength, like the Hulk. Um... (laughs) And again, it's like, this character didn't, I, I don't know what this, this character didn't have to be anything more than just, oh, it's funny that she's obsessed with this. Like, that's the character. Because it's really about Ed and Norma. Right. Um, but just this one more thing, and just this one extra, like, oh, and here's another completely unrelated, but just as bizarre detail about this person. Well, it's it's about Ed and Norma, except we get so much less of Ed and Norma than we do of of uh yeah. Nadine. Um well the it's it's this great like um it's like the, Ed's uh story in this episode is like an O Henry story where um he's 
like he he's finally because he wants I, he wants Nadine to divorce him so that he can be with Norma. Um, but he's like part of Ed is that he's very much like a gentleman. That was yep. his whole thing in the pilot, which is you know he stepped in front of Donna um, right, and right, took the right. punch. But and this is this is part of it. Like he won't he won't break up with Nadine not because he loves her very much, but because he's just too like chivalrous basically to do that. Um, even though he does want to be with Norma. So this story where this his story in this episode starts with him stepping on her drape runners and dripping oil on the cotton balls. And she's so furious at him. But then it ends with, oh, actually, that thing uh, made my silent drape runners perfect. And now I love you even more. Right. Yeah, exactly. And it's sort of this, you know, it's almost the kind of thing that in a sitcom, he'd you know, look at the camera and be like, what's my well. life, man? And I just want to be out of this. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, it's a, but again, I'm trying to process this in the context of this show. And it's just very strange. Um very weird. Uh, I don't mind That's it. Thing, I just yeah. don't understand it. Like I don't. There are a lot of different levels of weird on this show. Um, like, I think when you go into the show for the first time, one of the things you probably know about it is that it's weird. Um, but what most people won't tell you is that there are so many different degrees of weird and so many different varieties of weird on this show that have nothing to do with each other. Cooper's dream, and like like that's weird, but also. <laughs> Nadine having superhuman strength is a, is like a completely different kind of weird, but they coexist in this in this world, and somehow that like multiplies together into this like greater weirdness state that doesn't make any sense together. But it's 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 great. It's a yeah, it's a very odd combination, but I guess that's that's what weird is. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, I think we see we this next scene is all about uh Cooper. Well, I guess it yes. goes back and forth. Um very yeah, we briefly, see them set... why don't we just before we do yeah, before we do Cooper, why don't we just do so Bobby does just cuz we were talking about Bobby goes to see um Shelly. Uh and I just the, the only part that I found interesting about the scene that was uh, particularly uh, um interesting was that Bobby for some reason, was unaware that Leo was abusive. He seemed genuinely shocked by the whole situation. Um, and I can't tell if it's because he hasn't been dating Shelley very long, or if he's just not very bright, which seems to be the <laughs> more likely scenario. Um, yeah, I thought yeah. Leo was just like a violent, uh, you know, like a drug sociopath running only outside sociopath. Of <laughs> I didn't know he abused his girlfriend, who I've been seeing. Um, again, like Bobby not not picking up on cues that he probably should have. Yeah, exactly, um, exactly, exactly. Speaking of, the way he opens the scene is um, he goes, don't worry, I passed Leo on the way here, so I know he's not coming home. Leo saw you pass him on the way to his house. <laughs> Could just have easily like opened the door behind him, yeah. <laughs> yeah, not uh, yeah, in no way a, a particularly bright uh, fellow. Uh, I guess he could have seen him and then, you know, been sure that he didn't see him, you know. That it, the favor wasn't returned, I suppose, but uh, that's a bit of a risk, I would say, especially mm. when he has like a shotgun and. Okay, but yes, uh, Cooper. But um, can I just clarify something? Because I'm very confused about the ages of these characters. Oh yeah, this is. I'm glad you brought this up because I was wondering. Yes, she, so Shelley is not. Shelley's an adult. She's like supposed to be in her twenties, basically. Okay. Like. She, because of the way television works, all the high, all she looks to be the same age as all the high school characters, um, but she's never seen in high school. 
Um, no, but Shelly is, I believe, supposed to be, like, just out of high school, basically. Oh, um, okay. It, yeah. So it's it's a little... Again, just because of, like I said, because TV casts 20-somethings as high schoolers all the time, right. um, that particular distinction can be hard to uh, uh, make. And in this case, I think it is. Well, it's, it went beyond they, that, too, because it's like she was well, she was friends with Laura, right? Yeah. Um, so that was another thing is, which could just as easily have been she was a senior and, you know, Laura was like a sophomore. Yeah, there's any number of things that could, I mean, before and then she graduated and they, you know, but that gap is still there between their ages. Um, I just wasn't clear on who was who because I was like, why are high schoolers living with, and, and even Leo seems young. So they, you know. It's it was just sort of unclear like what the what the age differential was, but that makes a bit more sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, Cooper uh, has yes. a, a first of all, there's lots of donuts uh, mm-hmm. on display for the uh, the four cops and FBI agent. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, this is <laughs> this was a very weird scene for me. Uh, Sure, it's weird on its own, but it's weirder in the context of Cooper, who is so far been just a, seems to follow clues and be very, you know, standard detective type of person, um, but but good at it. But you know, sort of deductive reasoning, that kind of thing, logic based. And then he does this weird, extremely not detective work um, technique to figure out who. Uh, killed Laura, or who you know is a prime suspect on the his list of suspects. Yeah. Well, he's um, trying to figure out who Jay is. Yeah, who Jay is. Laura's diary. Yeah, sure, sure. So there's a list of everyone who with a J name in town, basically, right. or who do, who knew Laura. Um, and in this case, it was James, and, as far as we know, right? Yeah, it was. We assumed it was James because, like, she had James said that they met right. <laughs> in the night that she died. So it was. It's easy to assume that that's who that was, but it turns out maybe it wasn't um but this so yeah this is this is the scene where cooper really comes alive as a character and throughout the rest of the episode as well um the way he introduces this is that uh first of all he flips over this chalkboard and it's just a big picture of a map of tibet just just so they know what tibet is um and he talks about the plight of the tibetan people um and says that he had a dream when he was thinking about uh, how much he wanted to help them. And in when he w- awoke from this dream, he had subconsciously learned this secret technique to identifying people just through, like, uh, the, through, like, the, the energy of the universe. Um, and the way it works is you put a glass bottle on a tree stump 60 feet from you, and then you... Yeah, and you every with every rock you say the name of whoever you're the possible person you're trying to identify. This is a very specific situation that this technique has to work in, by the way. <laughs> you right. say the name and you throw it, throw the rock, and if it breaks the bottle, that's the person who you're trying to find. And there's also a situation where <laughs> there's an, there's an instance where the bottle is knocked over but not broken. Right. Um, Which could mean something else. So it's again, it's it, it kind of muddies the waters, but yeah, th- this is this like this is who Cooper is. He is just as much interested in deductive re like he, he he trusts deductive reasoning and he understands logic um, 
like a detective would. But to him, like, there's no difference between that and this. It's all part of investigation. It's all part of, like, looking for clues. This is this is looking for clues for him. And it makes just as much sense. And presumably it's worked in the past because he keeps doing it. Yeah, I mean, sure, whatever gets you there. I just... It frust like it to me, you know, I don't mind a character who doesn't follow sort of logical scientific reasoning, whatever, do whatever you want, I guess. But just I don't know, it's Cooper struck me as that kind of person and then it's just it was a bit odd to see him um going off the basis of a dream. Uh although I did like the foreshadowing that we would, you know, see what these dreams were that he was talking about uh, not long after, so or towards the end of the episode anyway. Um Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is a, a very odd moment. Also, like, yeah, it's a weird physical comedy. He does the spit take with the coffee yes. when he first drinks it. Yeah, he spits out the coffee and then says it's because it's uh, so damn good. It's so good. Great and mo- hot. Great moment. And hot. Yeah. <laughs> Which sort of justifies it. He does drink more of it immediately after, so. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's a great moment because it's like he, he spits it out because he's so surprised at how good it is. All right. Like he's, it's like a spit take, basically. Exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's a great, yeah, great moment. Yeah, it's, uh, um, it's and it's contrast with the last time he had coffee, where it was just a sort of a normal, um, coffee moment, uh, for him. <laughs> coffee moments are important to to track with Cooper, I, th- I think, and that's my mm-hmm. my suspicion. Um. So yeah, uh, there is a brief scene. Oh yeah, so then there's Nadine and Ed and the. Oh no, sorry. Before that, Albert. Um, oh well, before that is Audrey. Oh, and Audrey. Yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm really. And this is—it's funny you—it's funny you, you just give over this because this is one of, one of the one of the most iconic moments from the show. Uh, Audrey dancing. At oh the yeah, box. it wasn't. Didn't mean to skip over the scene. I just for some reason I'm, my brain went to further along in my notes. Um, yes, no, Audrey and and uh, Donna. Uh, it's a fairly significant um, scene, and and as you said, this was another moment of her uh, dancing, just like last episode. Yeah, um, this two, this da- this scene of the in particular. Major themes in the show. Yeah, um, what I like I like first of all this scene opens with Donna and her parents. They're eating at the diner after church, and I almost forgot um, this great moment earlier in the episode when her parents are leaving the room and they're leaving her with James. And just before he, her dad leaves her alone in the room with James, he goes, "You're coming to church with us tomorrow, right?" Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's such a dad a dad thing to do, and I thought oh, it was yeah. really funny. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a cute, it's a cute scene, and it you know has a lot of layers of meaning there. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's but yeah, so they're in the diner. They notice Audrey come in, and it's it's funny because Audrey is at once kind of like the first time we see her, she's like stepping out of a private car, um, and it's easy to forget sometimes that she is like, and her family are fabulously wealthy. They're probably the richest people in town, mm-hmm. um, besides maybe the. Packard Mill uh, owners, right? And although like uh, Pete doesn't live like opulently, obviously, um, but so that's like they're surprised to see her walk into the diner, um, which again is interesting because like I don't, I don't think of Audrey that way because that's just not like, I they don't really run with that I guess like that's how she again this is another example that's how she's introduced but that's not really what the the soul of the character is. Um, but we see like kind Not of a vestige really, of it. Some of her, you know, sort of the the rebellious acting out kid of a you know a rich parent yeah. is not an unheard of trope in that regard. Um, it's not really clear what her 
appeal is or what her goal is and anything. So I guess it's a bit too early to say, but I would say it's totally out of out of step with with who we, you know, what her backstory is. Right. Um, but yeah, like you said earlier, so she. <laughs> First of all, she it kind of intimates that she has a crush on Agent Cooper, right. um, which is funny. Uh, yeah, they both they both giggle about that. Yeah, and again, another question around age. I was like, that's I don't know what's going on here, but sure. Yeah, well, well, there, well, there's more of that <laughs> in future episodes. Gotcha. Um, the one of the reasons this moment is so iconic is not just because of the dance, which is really memorable, because um, it's kind of just like she's. She's improvising the stance. There's no choreography. Mm-hmm. She just kind of when she the actress Sherilyn Fenn talked about it, she said something to the effect of like David Lynch just turned the camera on and said, Whatever you feel, just go. And like she was at first really self conscious, obviously, which is so it's kind of like just a little like swaying. Um and then she adds something with the hand. So but it's it, it makes it more memorable than like something that was choreographed would have been because it feels much like not more natural because obviously it's very strange uh, this dance, but it feels more real, I guess. But also sure. the reason it's iconic is because uh, she's introduced this major. Well, she's not introduced it, but she asks Donna, "Hey, did Laura ever talk about my father?" Which right. is like a big, not a bombshell, but it's a this is a big deal that she suspects her father of being involved in the murder. Right. Uh, which previously we've just seen him being shady, but his own daughter is suspicious of him in this regard, and then immediately drops it because she likes the song and she wants to dance. Um, well, that's she doesn't Audrey. also because Donna doesn't seem to have any immediate thoughts on it. Or she's, yeah. <laughs> or she's playing it you know, cool or, or whatever, but it's not it's not entirely clear. Um, yeah, the other thing that reminded me, you know, she says also that you know, doesn't it doesn't it feel like a dream or something like that? Yeah, um, she's like, isn't it too dreamy? Isn't it too dreamy, yeah. And I, I guess what I was thinking about, I, I didn't know it wasn't choreographed, but I not that I thought it was choreographed per se, but it, it feels like both times she danced, um, it's almost like she was, you know, what it would look like if someone were dancing underwater, but there wasn't any, there wasn't any water. So Yes, um, that's very true. You know, where it's sort of, the, the air is very fluid, um, which is a phenomenon that, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure you've experienced this, but many people have experienced in dreams where you, you're trying to move fast or do something and... Um, you end up moving very slowly. Like if you're trying to punch something or run or whatever, and it's very, very slow because whatever, for whatever reason, something's holding you back from moving fast. Um, and that's a lot like being underwater. Um, so that was sort of how I interpreted her her dance in that way. Um, but yeah, it, it all sort of added to that. And I like that she turns on the jukebox and it's, it, you, like like last episode, it fades in and out of the, uh, the diegesis of the scene. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, Great scene. so yeah, that's, uh, that's the diner. Uh, what do we go for? Oh yeah. And then, sorry. And then I also completely skipped over Albert. Uh, this is your cousin, right? Or your, yes. <laughs> Let me, when he walks in and he's again, I, I kind of gave this away last week, but it's a great payoff to, it's a payoff to a setup from last episode that didn't right. reveal itself as a setup. Where Lucy says his name is Albert Rosenfeld, and then he when he walks in in this episode he says Rosenfield and he spells it. Um, <laughs> I get it, and to be like, honest, I'm glad you said something because I probably wouldn't have remembered. Yeah. Um, well, I, it it only it only stands out to me because that's my name, of course. and when the way you spell R O S E N 
F-I-E-L-D. The number of times I've said that in my life, like, I, I, you wouldn't believe. Because no one, whatever, David Lynch must have known someone named Rosenfield, and they told him about this phenomenon. Because it's uncanny. It's incredible. Exactly, it's exactly right. Yeah. Yes. Well, for that those that small percentage of the world that has that name, I'm sure they appreciate it as well. Yes. Um, David um, Lynch really found his audience with you. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, but he's also kind of a jerk. Um, yeah, that's yes. He's played by Miguel Ferrer, who's incredible in this role. Um, he's very he's like the anti Cooper <laughs> in yeah. a lot of ways. He absolutely is. Although he does, st- you know, Cooper does stick up for him. He says, "Well, you know, he's very good at what he does." You know, but he's a bit rough around the edges, basically. Um, but what I liked about the scene is that, you know, Cooper was very amenable when he came in and very, you know, willing to just do whatever and 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 liked. You know, obviously he had his his way of doing things, but he um, really liked the town and liked the people and seems to be a much more uh, open-minded sort of person. Um, but when Albert shows up, he's immediately insulting people and discrediting everything. Um, but what I like in the scene a lot is that Harry, who's been pretty um, tame so far, I would say pretty uh, passive, uh, suddenly shows some teeth and defends his, uh, defends the, the, was it the coroner or the toxicologist or whoever it was? And then um, also just defending his, uh, his, police station is precinct um and also the town uh and it's a really great moment for me for for him because i think it it gives him a lot more color than just being like the what amounted to cooper's sidekick <laughs> um yeah. which is uh which is a nice uh, nice little moment there well it's it shows kind of how astute he is because he immediately gets who albert is oh yeah um and that like you can't just like he probably isn't going to show any open respect for you whatsoever. Sure. Every word out of every word out of his mouth is an insult, and he throws in extra insults when he's not even part of the conversation, um, just because that's who he is. So you can't just like, you can't just take it. You you have to stand up for yourself, and he will not. He won't back down, but he will at least. You will have a rapport with him, and you will understand him more if you are as aggressive as he is. And I wouldn't even call it necessarily aggression it's so it seems it's so natural to him it literally just is it literally is just like he can't help himself right. every sentence has to be demeaning to whatever is closest to him at the, at the moment um is albert's a albert's a great character um and my favorite thing about this scene is cooper just this huge grin on his face the entire time just because he loves i i and again like who cooper is as a person he just loves being around Albert, it seems like. not. He doesn't care what Albert is specifically saying, but just his energy as a person seems to delight Cooper. And it seems to delight him even more that Truman, like, recognizes it. <laughs> um, like, he he doesn't try to step in between the two of them or or anything like that. He just observes, and he's loving it. No, absolutely. And then at the end, you know, he he also, I think like seeing uh harry do his like stand up for himself he gives him that thumbs up at the end um because maybe he was worried about how that would you know their relationship would go maybe he was worried that he would get pushed around or whatever um i think what's nice is it also sort of hints at at 
wherever Cooper came from, um, his relationship with other people in the FBI was probably interesting uh, because <laughs> Albert's more like what you might expect an FBI agent to be like. And so right. if if he's representative of it all, then Cooper probably stuck out a bit and probably is why he likes being in this town. Maybe he doesn't like working at the FBI. Not that he doesn't like his job, but he doesn't like the people potentially. It's not entirely clear. Um, but there's a lot of, you know, little hints um, just by virtue of his, um, by virtue of, of Albert's uh, contrast with him. Um, the other thing I thought was funny is the two people he's with are just, you know, caricatures of men in black. Yeah, they, um, they, they serve, nope, they're just there. They're just, they're just there, there and they have, the of course, they have metal briefcases because why not? <laughs> and sunglasses inside because why not? Um, just to look like scary government men. Um so, they're yeah, just props. They're exactly, and their, their cases are prop. Everything is prop about them. Um, also, something I didn't notice. I'm now looking at a screenshot of uh, the scene when Albert is uh, is checking in and uh, uh, getting ready to to meet Harry and uh, and see Cooper. Um, on the desk at reception uh, is a book that just says Tibet on it. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> I don't know what the. Uh, context is of that it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't seem to be about and i don't know if it's about anything it just says it's like it's, the title is tibet so i think the i think the implication maybe is that lucy like got that book got that book from the library after they got oh, back maybe. from the woods because <laughs> she was just so fast like she was oh I, I you know i didn't really know anything about tibet <laughs> learn about tibet yeah there yeah. you go um yeah anyway it's just something i noticed because i was looking for uh just to, to to read up a little bit or get get that uh, that scene in my in my head, so I was looking at some of the screenshots from it. But yeah, um, it's it's, uh, it's it's the little things, you know. Um, so, right, getting back to where I had, s- so yeah, obviously Nadine and Ed, they get the the runners are silent, and that's all uh, a, a big <laughs> moment for her, and she's convinced that they're going to be rich um, because they've you know for the other neurotic people who are obsessed with making their curtains uh, quiet, uh, you know, they'll be able to sell them. Their, their new invention, this silent uh, silent curtain thing. Um, but there is this moment uh, with Josie and Leg- Ledgers that I genuinely was was quite confused by. So I suppose it's meant to be mysterious, but there's clearly something else going on uh, in this one scene. Yeah, it, it, it plays like a reveal, but it's not, it's more like... Uh, okay, well, the reveal is just something. something's yeah. going on, <laughs> yeah, exactly. basically. Yeah, the the idea that there are two ledgers implies that someone is maybe like skimming off the top, or you know something like something to that effect. Um, maybe, yeah. But there's no. I think it's meant to be kind of like, well, what's going on? Why? Uh... And it's interesting that Pete uh, uh, knows about it. Apparently, Pete is such an Pete is such an interesting character in the in this clash between Josie and Catherine, where he's totally like. He's he's completely just a passive guy. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't, you know, just he doesn't tolerate being demeaned. But he he doesn't he doesn't really have a dog in the fight other than like he likes well, Josie more. I was gonna um, say he does seem to support Josie a lot more. Yeah. But he will def yeah he 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 supports Josie definitely, but he doesn't take direct action in this conflict, <laughs> um, which is what makes him so. I mean, I love I love Pete. He's a great he's a great character. Um, and just the fact that he is not—he is perfectly happy not being out in front of anything. <laughs> um, like he—he he will just help Josie figure stuff out. 
Um, or, and it's and maybe he didn't even know that there were two ledger books. He just sort of suspected. So he gave Josie the key to go like check. Um, it's not really clear how much Pete knows about this. Yeah, it's the whole mystery of what's going on with the, the mill or what is actually you know at stake or what what you know nefarious actions are going on is, is not clear yet. But um, I suppose that's all folding out over time. So we'll we'll probably get more next episode or uh, in the next few episodes. Right. Um, on the other hand, we have this the scene that you also referenced last episode. Just spoiling everything, man. Um, <laughs> with uh, Leland now having his freak out over um, uh, Laura's photo. Uh, yeah. But, and her death, obviously, is the main point. These scenes are so sad because, like, it's this reminder that, like, as much as the show is trying to move away in broad str- in, in in details, I mean, uh, from the Laura Palmer case, it like it doesn't let you sink into these other storylines in this town without reminding you that also in this town are these two people who are going through just unimaginable grief right. and pain. Um, you know, as much as it. Is, as much as it is saying, look, don't focus so much on the, just the investigation and the mystery, it's also saying, don't forget, like, what the show is about, you know? Don't don't forget Laura Palmer's death. And it, it wasn't just a plot device. It means something to these people. And this scene is just, it's really heartbreaking. Yeah, it's um, it's depressing. And, and uh, you know, this whole moment with, where the, the frame breaks and then it gets, the picture gets covered in blood. Um, and everything's getting really intense, and then the you know the the music stops, right? And the, everything quiets down quite a bit. She slaps the needle off the record player. She does, which she is great. It off. Um, it's a it's a it's it's definitely a, an impactful scene. Um, I will say this though, I find it really strange, and I, it's partially because I feel like. David Lynch doesn't hang out with humans very often. I think he hangs out with, I don't know what he hangs out with, but um, <laughs> he, he, um, he observes the world like an alien, it feels like. And so I feel like if this is how an alien would imagine a like grief, like there's so many scenes of grief. It's, and maybe it's, they all, you know, perhaps they all run together because they're very cliche and whatever. But I think they're also based in some reality of how people handle really sad things. And, um, it's not to say that you know everyone has deals with grief in their own way and that's all fine and well but this and also the scene last episode are so peculiar to me even though i get they're very sad but they're also really odd like the whole idea the whole spinning with the photo and the dance like is he dancing with her is that what's going on or it's just a very odd scene as well so there's this weird um disconnect for me when in these moments and it's not necessarily a bad thing it almost feels you know, intentional. Um, but oh no, it absolutely is. It's very yeah. like, like you, like I agree with you. This is like, I mean, it's 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 funny the idea that this is how an alien would interpret human grief um, and what humans do when they are grieving. But it's also in the same way. It's it's much. It's very much like. It feels like something from your subconscious. It feels like something like. You know, b- before you can even think about something, just like your your instinct um your instinct an instinctual image something like uh, like a primal thing that doesn't really have any basis in how normal humans act because we're regulated by you know 
uh, our super ego. Mm. This is like the id version of this scene. Um, it's it's so uh, uninhibited by normal human behavior, um, and it does feel and it does feel like a dream. I mean, it's dreamlike is so it's god because there are like you said there are there's literally a dream sequence that we're about to get to in this episode yep. so calling us so calling an uh something in the show dreamlike is kind of like no it's i wouldn't say it's dreamlike it's almost like what you might imagine it's the kind of thing you know when you're really upset about something you're like i'm gonna you know do xyz and that's you know and it's a crazy thing to do but i'm just gonna do it but you generally don't go through with it um, it's just sort of an idea in your head. You're like, oh, what if I did this? And who cares if it breaks? Because I'll just, whatever, it's fine. But it's like we're seeing that version of reality. It's a version of reality yeah. where you didn't, you didn't say no to that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so dreamlike yeah. in that, it's a dreamlike, but it's happening in the real world because you're doing the thing that you probably wouldn't do if you were thinking straight. Um, but in it's what beats particularly in this family <laughs> seem to just go ahead and do that thing. So yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, it's an odd um, recurring thing. Uh, one thing I did want to say, and I, I have this note down, but I don't know what scene it refers to. It must be between um, the, the frame breaking and uh, the dream sequence somewhere in there. There's a piano piece that plays that really keeps reminding me of uh, Truman show, uh, the Truman show and Philip Glass. And I don't know why or, or what the what there's but there's some recurring motif in the show and it was bothering me that I couldn't really place it. Um, I think it happens a bunch in the pilot as well. I don't. It's Laura Palmer's theme. Um, is it Laura's? Yeah, Laura it's. Theme? Really? It is. Well, Laura Laura Palmer's theme starts with just like the uh, the droning like synths, the low synths, yeah. but then it transitions into a piano like melody. Okay, so um, that's it. Yeah. And that yeah, that's what that is. Okay. Well, anyway, I just keep thinking of the Truman Show, which, um, you know, of course, is a another sort of bizarre, um, very happy uh, suburban world that's obviously got a completely different uh, underpinning as well, which probably uh, has some influence or cross influence over with uh, with Twin Peaks, or has sort of long term affected shows in similar ways and and, and storytelling. Um, so yeah, it's just a funny, funny little connection there. And and then I was thinking, wouldn't it be interesting if David Lynch worked with uh, Philip Glass? I don't know if he ever has. They do seem like they'd be a good fit. Have, maybe they have. Doesn't it seem right? <laughs> it does. Something about it seems right. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have to look that up. Yeah, Someone's maybe like, they have. I don't really they know. Did that in, uh, Razorhead, and I'll be like, what? So anyway, um, I'll have to to take a look at that. Um, Anyway, I felt like I'd mentioned that, but uh, then we get into this this dream sequence, I believe. Oh, my nice. God. Yes. This is... I'm going to let you go, because I'm really curious to hear your thoughts, but I just want to say, like, this is when I fell hard for this show, <laughs> is this whole sequence. And it's, it's like, there's a lot of, like I've been saying, there's a lot of aspects of this show that even now, like, having watched it a couple months ago, uh, I don't remember. I I will I've never forgotten this sequence. I, it is like imprinted on me. I could probably recite the dialogue in this sequence wow. word for word, because it's just God. It's okay, but you go ahead. I'll, I'll go later. So just as a like a recap of it really quickly, just so we remember all the, the little moments, and you'll probably be able to correct me on this because I mm. I don't remember them nearly as well. But um, and I do not have the order right. I know that. So there's um. There's moments where the screen is flashing uh, as if it's like flickering on and off. Um, There's scenes from the pilot where Laura's mother was calling out for her. So 
things that Cooper obviously never saw, but suddenly is this can see through the camera <laughs> almost hmm. of the show, which is a bit strange. Um, also, Cooper is old and sitting in like a red room. He's got like yep. aged makeup on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And there's, I think his name is Mike, the guy with one arm. Yes. Um, just going on. By the way, that means there's two Mikes in the show, right? There's also two Bobs. Right. Well, yeah, there you go. Um, Mike and Bobby and Mike and Bob in this sequence. That's a deliberate parallel. Uh, okay. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, Bob is a long-haired guy. Um, so Mike goes on like this weird monologue that doesn't seem to make much sense. Uh, honestly, it reminded me a lot of... I watched... Uh, it was horrible. Absolutely a terrible decision. An, a Let's Play of uh, Outlast 2, <laughs> which is just disgusting not scary just a disgusting disgusting yeah game i've seen stuff were... from that game yeah the the people who are doing the let's play of it are people i like a lot so i was following them but um yeah the, the game was ugh, uh just gross but a lot of that game is just this really um not to disparage this this monologue but it's just this i immediately turned off my brain as i was listening to it because there's all these ridiculous um uh like sermons from fake like Bibles or like these screwed up Bibles from this like crazy horror town, whatever in, um, in Outlast two. And they just, they make no sense. It's just a bunch of like biblical words thrown into sequence, but like they don't make any, there's no rhyme or reason to them. They're just like what crazy, these crazy people were doing. Um, and so, yeah, when I started reading this, I was like, or when I was listening to this, I was like, yeah, I'm getting some Outlast two vibe here. I'm just going to switch That's... my brain off. Well, um, uh, that's interesting is... because, like, there's there's an extent to which you have to take this aspect of the show at face value. It's yeah, not. I'm it, sure it was. It's important. not not like was he, hard for me. It was just hard for me to. to it's yeah, like it's not. He's not just speaking it. literal nonsense. Like he, what he says in this in his scene. I mean it how it is, how it sounds. Like he's he's talking literally when he says he talks about how. We, there was a, I think you call it a convenience store. We lived above it. And of course the poem, which like, uh, there's a moment in season three when this poem like shows up again and I cried because it was so like, oh my God. <laughs> um, you know, through the darkness of future past, the magician longs to see one chance out between two worlds. Fire, walk with me. And mm-hmm. fire, walk with me is what they found written in blood at the right. site of Laura's murder too. That's also a movie. Um, and then, yeah, but like this sequence... Uh, and by the way, the two scenes with all three of these sequences in the stream are from the end of the international pilot. I said I would tell you when those oh. came up. Um, in fact, the, the scene in the red room is how the international pilot ends. Oh, how strange. <laughs> Which, imagine if you saw this as a movie and that was the final scene. <laughs> well, I and it like, was, well, that was a David Lynch film. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I just, I got to talk about the, the man from another place. Yes. Be- because... Uh, He's probably the one I associate most with the show of anything else, mm-hmm. for sure. Like, um, just from imagery. And then I was like, have I actually seen anything with him in it? Like, uh, have I seen any actual things from this show? Or am I thinking of Mulholland Drive? Or am I thinking of Carnival, which I don't think you've seen, hmm. um, but is it's the same actor, um, Michael J. Hmm. Anderson. Who plays yep. um, a, a guy named Samson in that? Who's um, in, in that and in Mahal and Drive? It's like 
they have like a fetish for putting him in like a room with curtains where like he's like a mysterious character where you're not really sure what <laughs> their deal is. Like they keep doing that to this guy who's like probably could do like many other things uh, as an actor, but they keep doing this particular thing. He has a lot more room in uh, as Samson in Carnival, um, <laughs> which is a show which, by the way, I was reading up about it because I, I remember seeing a, a couple episodes many, many years ago. I don't remember it very well. Um, but it, it people were comparing it to Twin Peaks for that, partially because of him and partially because the show has probably owes a lot to, the, to Twin Peaks in, in concept. Um, so I'm very familiar with him as uh, as a like as an actor, uh, having been in, in all of these different pieces. Uh, and then I was I, I genuinely don't remember if this is the maybe I've just seen gifts of this or something, but um, when it well, finally yeah. happened, I was like, this is finally what I yes. was like waiting for in this weird soap opera about Twin Peaks for this, this the, thing to happen. The Red Room sequence is the most, the most parodied, the most referenced, like there this scene is what is the most iconic thing from the show far and away. Um, I, I do want to go back quickly to oh, sure. what yeah, Mike yeah. said. So it, that, it's, that, that we first see Mike. And he says, "My name, my name is Mike. His name is Bob." And by the way, these those names are written in all caps traditionally um, to distinguish them from Mike and Bobby, but also because it, it it distinguishes these two entities as something more otherworldly. Um, it's, but he, we talk, when he talks about like his monologue, it is like it is exactly it's the way it's written is exactly like how someone would talk to you in a dream. And when he talks about how and like when it gets like nightmarish he talks about how um you know i had him tattooed on the left arm but then i saw the face of god it took the entire arm off um it's like it's like chilling um and then he says and then he says his name is bob and it cuts to bob and the shot of bob is again from the and original ending of the pilot um the way it uses the four three aspect ratio to really good effect because it looks like he's trapped in this little box Mm-hmm. Um, and he just gives this impression of like, you know, he is hidden somewhere in this little place that you can't get to, but he's gonna get out and he's gonna come for you. Um, and it's scary. Like this actor Frank Silva, who I, as I said before, he was a set set dresser on the set. Right, right. Um, and David Lynch just just liked him and gave him this role. He's incredible in this role. And this is this even this isn't even his even his best scene, but he's already just so sinister and creepy. You know. And when he says, catch you with my death bag. I don't even know what that means, but it's so scary. <laughs> um, yeah, he, uh, yeah, he's, a, he's an odd character um, who, who seems to be threatening. But it's not even clear he's threatening. Is he threatening Cooper? You know, like... Uh, well, yeah, it's not really clear. I mean, Cooper, he's talking directly to the camera, and it's Cooper's dream, so... I guess that's the assumption. Definitely... The last time he appeared was, was, you know, so it's... I, I don't know. It's kind of an unclear... Uh, an unclear yeah. threats. Um, it's more like which, it's more. I mean, yeah. just because Cooper's like a detective, it's it plays a lot like um, like he's taunting the person who's uh, trying to get him. Like I'll kill again. Not not saying I'll kill you, but like I'll, I'll kill someone before mm, you can yeah, get to sure. me. Um, but yeah, then then the we're in the red room. Yeah. Ugh. So the the man from another place is speaking. It's not even clear if they're speaking backwards. It seems like they're speaking regularly, and then yes. they like distorted their voices. What they're doing is make it sound like it was backwards. They they wrote the lines phonetically backwards, like the letters backwards, mm. and had them read that, and then reversed that audio. 
Okay. So it sounds so like the words. Yeah, so it sounds like they're saying the words forwards because the sounds are correct. Yeah, yeah. But it I've still seen, sounds reversed. I've seen like music videos or other things where they've done things like this. Or no, not not music videos. There's a really uh, cute little sketch um, that someone did where um, somebody says like, "I'll show you how to how to take water out of this T-shirt," um, and it's just like uh, somebody gets splashed with water, but it's in reverse. So, but he has to say everything in a way so that when it's played backwards, so <laughs> that the water comes out of the T-shirt, it's all done in. Um, uh, it's all done in reverse so that it, it sounds like it's coming forward. Um, so that's the, the other time I've seen this technique, but um, it's uh, it's cool to see it in this, this context. I will say that it sounds like when they talk, it's almost, it comes across as, like it's understandable, although they do caption it, um, but also it almost sounds like they have an accent when they're talking too, which is kind of <laughs> kind of an odd little yeah. touch on it. Well, I mean, um, I, I, I recommend you try this out, just like Find a sentence and then flip the letters and read what read that phonetically. Yep. And then reverse that audio and see what it sounds like. Because it's not like when you're reading a word backwards, you're gonna stress vowels differently and oh, they're course, gonna sound course, different. So you have to like plan ahead for that so yep. that it is. But but definitely like it gives it this really cool effect of like it it sounds like the words. And this is why the captions are so useful, I think, because yep. not because that you can't understand them, but just so you know what they're saying, and you right. know that they are saying those words, but they sound wrong. Right. Um. So cool. Um. But the, and the and the things they say. First of all, he's the first time we see the man from another place. We see, he's back is to Cooper, and he's like shaking. Yep. In a really creepy way, and then he tur- spins around and he snaps his fingers and he says, "Let's rock." Yeah. Uh, Let's rock. So good. Um. That was good, yeah. yeah. And then there's uh like Laura Palmer, but it's not Laura Palmer. It's his That's, cousin. It's a this is very confusing. Such a good again. It's like such a teasing line. It's like this is my cousin, but doesn't she look almost exactly like Laura Palmer? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then one of my favorite lines of the whole series is Cooper says, "No, but you are Laura Palmer," and she says, "I feel like I know her, but sometimes my arms bend back." Yeah. Um, and. Oh God! I got chills just thinking about that line because, like, there is, there's an implication there that we'll get to once we learn more about Laura, but it is so like, it 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 when you hear that line for the first time, it throws you, because when you hear a but in the middle of a sentence, you're expecting it to contradict the first part of the sentence in right. some way, but this doesn't appear to have any relevance to the first part of the sentence. It doesn't unless she can't put her her arms back or something. Yeah. You know, it's like we don't I know anything about I Laura feel like that, I so. know her. But sometimes my arms bend back. It's such a like it just makes you wanna know everything about this person to find out what this could possibly mean. And then of course, uh the great punchline when the man from another place turns back to Uper and says, She's filled with secrets. <laughs> right. Which uh, like in context is uh a bit of a it's almost like a a joke, but not like a joke that he's telling in context of the show, but um, yeah, there's not really a lot of explanation here. Uh, but she does walk up to Cooper and whisper something into his ear, which I guess is the, even though she's not Laura Palmer, apparently gives him the uh, the information about who um, did the murder. So yes, yeah, I guess we'll find that out next episode. Well, yeah, and like I said earlier, it's this great. Great I mean, we'll cliffhanger. Find out whatever, where you know, I don't know if it'll be like the answer, but you know, 
we'll find he, out whatever he, he calls wants to Truman say. and says, "I know who killed Laura Palmer. I'll tell you at breakfast this tomorrow morning." Is no, no, no. It can wait till morning. <laughs> Which almost implies that whoever it is is like dead or something. So there's no risk or like, what is the? Why would you say that? Um, <laughs> it's a very odd, uh, odd thing to say. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the credits play. I don't know. This probably wasn't how it was on TV. I don't know how they did this back then. But the credits play over the man from another yep, place dancing. doing his dance and the great yep. song. Oh God. Yeah. Like, like I said, this is when I fell in love with this show because this happens. It's at once inscrutable, but also like, like a lot of Lynch for me, it's like, I feel this on a very deep level. And I don't know what exactly it's making, I don't know why it's making me feel a certain way, whether that's like unsettled or disturbed or like delighted, or I just feel like connected. But like the why, the why doesn't matter in this moment. It's just like, it is evoking something really powerful for me with its, with all its strangeness. And I just love it. So I was wondering, um, with Twin Peaks The Return, is that something that, obviously you've, you've indicated that there's a lot of references to the the first two seasons, but is it the kind of thing that people did jump into in the third season and it worked, or was it a... Oh, God, like, no. definitely I mean, like season three. It, it is... There are elements... I mean, there's like a lot of new characters... Most of the original cast returns besides the ones that died, although some of the ones that died also return. Right, right, right. Um, so. so there is a lot of that, but there is a lot of focus on new characters as well. And, But at the same time, like I can't imagine jumping into season three uh, by itself because it is so... Like, I think you can enjoy it as just, like, you know, a trip, basically. Like, oh, wow, this is so strange, and I don't understand anything that's happening or why, but it, this is so, <laughs> like... Like, you, I think you probably can enjoy it on that level, um, sure. And there are a lot of great scenes out of context that are really entertaining. Um, but so much of it is so deeply rooted in, like, th- there's something in, in the return that is, you won't get the significance of it un- unless you've seen the deleted scenes from the movie. <laughs> wow. Because it's just, because it's a, it's a reference to a deleted scene. Um, it really is for, like, it is at once some a gift to people who are really, uh, really into the first uh, two seasons and the and the movie, but it is also like a rejection and saying like, don't expect us to just go back to the nostalgia well. We're doing something that is completely unlike what the original series was in any capacity whatsoever. Um, it's it's and it's and a lot of it is kind of like David Lynch saying because he directed every episode of The Return as opposed right. to the first two seasons. Um, he like it's his opportunity to find a home for imagery and ideas uh, that had kind of reoccurred in his art, but never like in a film before. Like there are a lot of like things that seem to be references to his paintings, for instance, um, or that resemble his paintings. So it's kind of like he treated the season three as a way to get out all of these things that he's been carrying with them that haven't really had a place in his other work. Um, and giving them a home in in Twin Peaks, um, I, I mean, I, yeah, I could go on, but it, it, so, suffice to say, you should not jump into season three without seeing the first two seasons and the movie. I see. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, good to know. Uh, I wasn't planning on jumping into the third season. I was just wondering, <laughs> in context, you know, what the because you know, I don't know how many people. Like, it's kind of a weird thing to to go for fans who have seen the nineteen ninety. Uh, TV series, a show that started in 1990 and then also are interested in 2017 um, and 
capturing people who scope, you know, span both. I suppose you can always go back and watch it, but you'd have to have done that. Um, and Twin Peaks isn't exactly a show I hear people talking about very frequently uh, in, in most circles, even though it was very, not that it wasn't popular at that time, but it's not something that, like, even when The Return came out, I didn't hear anything about it, except for what I saw on film Twitter. Uh, that, well, I was going to say, like, if my, my Twitter feed, that's all they talked about for four months. Ah, yes. Okay. Well, I've, I've colored my, my Twitter feed with quite a few um, streams, so perhaps that's why. Um, hmm. But in any case, uh, not to say that it wasn't, you know, people were talking about it. That's true. And whenever there was a new episode, you know, um, but also it was competing for air with Game of Thrones and other stuff. So um, it, was a, it was an odd time to come out with a, a show like that, I think. Um, like the past couple of months, there hasn't really been much out. Like that's when I probably would have uh, aired Twin Peaks if I wanted to have a, sort of its own spot on Sundays. Um but in any case, yeah, uh, I'm excited to yeah to keep to keep moving through this. So we have next week is Rest in Pain. Yes, the fourth episode of that we're doing, but the third episode of season one, not counting the pilot. We got to come up with a better way to do that. That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's just a dumb uh, numbering system. Um, it's actually it's kind of like uh, in in coding, you start with count uh, it's count zero, so you start with zero and and count through. I'm always getting into fights. with with uh, the biologists always getting into fights with the uh, coders uh, where I work <laughs> <laughs> over whether or not we start with count with one or count with zero. Um, so here we start with zero. So there you go. Uh, rest in pain. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, Cooper has to say to Harry next episode.